Sports Talk Radio every weekend night with Princess Cooper. Never had it so good radio now on 101.1 and it's 24-7, the world's best radio station. In this day and time, stereotypes are the false descriptions for all of humanity. James T. Deshaies is the author of two great poetry books that attempt to describe life from a male perspective. It has been a common belief that men are unable to put into words their deepest feelings and spend most of their time focused on the surface of what life means. Thoughts, love, and reflections, and passion, desire, and contemplation take you on a journey that has very few travelers. Mr. Deshaies has opened his heart and spirit up in ways that few have ever experienced. The depth of his poetry will have you reading his books and poems over and over again. You will find yourself using his passages to describe your own feelings to your family and friends. It is now time to put aside your thoughts and feelings related to the depth of men's thoughts and delve deeply into the words of James T. Deshaies. Once again, he will put an end to your thoughts that men can't translate their heartfelt spirit into words. Both of these books will allow you to find comfort in the reality of the heart of men. You will spend hours trying to embrace the way men want to love and display their passion to the women they love. Don't be fooled by those books that create love through words of lust, vulgarity, and unhealthy displays of sexual activities you will discover the types of words that will allow you to rejoice in the future of what love truly means to men. Your book clubs and families will be able to discuss these words without fear. No one will have to leave the room. Both of these books can be purchased at jamestdeshay2.com and lulu.com. Feel free to reach out to the author at tlreflectionsjtd at gmail.com. This is James T. Deshay, the host of Thoughts, Love, and Reflection, brought to you by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. We are here with you as every day, proud of the opportunity to talk about what is going on in our society. Uh, presently, we're going to talk to uh, Mr. Higgins about the issues that we have with uh, incarceration. How are you doing today, Mr. Higgins? I'm doing fine, Mr. Deshay. How you doing? All right, Mr. Higgins, I wanted to give out a little information uh, before we get started. Uh, presently, the United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. We presently have, if you, you count the federal uh, prisons and state prisons and jails, a little over 2 million people incarcerated. Uh, many of those who are going to be at some point released and coming back in society. So it's important that we have some type of discussion related to what it is that you do with these people. How do you prepare them to get back, come back into society? And how do you help them uh, not to reoffend uh, so they can return to jail. Uh, it is said that right. we have a very low 
uh, success rate related to keeping people out of prison once they have gotten into the system. Uh, so uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. What What are your thoughts uh, related to that, and how do we uh, do a better job of helping people uh, prepare for freedom outside of the jail system? Um, that's a that's a very good question. Well, first of all, we have to start um, understanding the reasons why they went there in the first place. But you know, when we set that aside, you know, what I'm saying we have to realize the challenges that they're faced with as as on return into society. Many of them don't have identification. Many of them have weak ties to their families. Many of them don't have any money and don't have any shelter, housing, and you know the. The, the scanty services, you know, that um, the state offers or, you know, through, you know, welfare, food stamps, it's not enough to, you know, sustain someone to be able to make the transition to be able to make the appointments, to, to obtain a birth certificate, to obtain a Social Security Social Security card, to obtain these things so they could, they could actually transition to society and transition to be amicable. So what happens is, is that they did the... Um, the inability to access these things and sustain themselves often um, leads, you know, um, formerly incarcerated individuals, you know what I'm saying, to, you know, to, um, you know, susceptible to a life of crime again. And it's not, you know, in terms of the fact that they actually want to be involved in this type of crime, but it's in terms of the survival mechanism. You know, crime in itself is a survival mechanism. So when you have individuals, you know what I'm saying, we have to resort to, um, to um to, to 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 that means of survival, then you know, <clears throat> you know what I mean. We have to realize that once they become released, that this that the um these means of survival are this means of survival is even more scarce. And you know we have to be create um create avenues and resources that strengthen the resources that are already there. There are programs and there's many things that supposed to assist inmates, uh, uh, formerly incarcerated um, individuals as they transition um, into um, society. But many of these programs fall short on, you know, in terms about the um, effectively, you know, helping these helping these these men and women transition. So it was up to us in terms of our, as a population, in terms of our community, to start, um, you know, um, creating our own organizations, you know what I'm saying, to help, you know what I'm saying, with the transition, um, you know, holding these organizations accountable, um, you know, talking to our local politicians in terms about um, what are, what are their stand positions on in terms about creating avenues for these people to come into society because you know our local politicians should be helping these um young individuals um obtain employment. You know, these are these are things that you know what I'm saying that you know that the, um our local politicians that are that request that they're our request of what what we need. They're to serve, serve our needs, the public. So if our, if our needs is the public is for our formerly incarcerated people to have employment, then you know what I'm saying our our public officials should be that that should be their stance. So these are you know, these are the things that we have to do as a community to get involved so that we can um you know, so we can so we can alleviate some of these pressures on these these formerly incarcerated people are our family members, they are our loved ones. And people can be incarcerated for many different reasons, you know what I mean? And so, you know, and it's you know, so we you know what I'm saying, you know, we don't need to vilify people just because they were incarcerated. You know what I mean? 
and and this is one of the reasons why we have to we, we you know we have to first we have to start thinking about why are we the face of crime and start um and start removing our face from being the face of crime. It's not only we the face of crime and actual crime, we the face of crime and interpretations of crime in terms about um you know movies and um television shows and reenactments and things of that nature. So we have to start you know. Start, you know, be selective about the roles, what we allow our children to see, and what we projecting of ourselves, because it's easy to vilify us in terms of our okay, it's our right to arrest them, it's our right to incarcerate them, you know, and they they already did the crime, you know, you don't really need much evidence on them, and this is not true, you know, we you know we live in the United States, but you know you, you have to have jurisprudence, so you know these things, um, you know. We have to we have to be, be active in our community, and you know so so we can hold 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 the police accountable because the police are not supposed to be have our communities under siege. See if you notice if you live in if you live in a community where the people are homeowners, it doesn't matter where in this country if you live in a community where people are homeowners, the police do not come to drive through the communities like it's under siege. The community only come through the community in the poor in the poor communities where the apartment dwellers are at. Where the apartments, so even there are homes, and the homes are topped up into apartments. They come to the communities where apartment dwellers are at. They come to the communities where projects are at. They come to the community because see, the homeowners are landowners, they're taxpayers. So they don't, they don't come to, they only come to those communities, the homeowners communities on a call. Someone has to call them. But other than that, they ride past those communities. But they police our community. They police the urban communities. They police the, the communities with the low income. They police the apartment dwellers. And this is what we have to we have to cease to let these people come into our communities and actually agitate and create situations. You know, in terms about so so they, so they can make themselves viable. So these are the things that we have to do, and we have to understand that the people that come at home that we need to actually be really effective and be and be and have and be empathetic to to, to their needs in terms about from they come at home. If we don't want them to um to reoffend. And you know, it is when you say that you incarcerate twenty million people, it says that the society needs to do somewhat of a better job trying to get these people acclimated to freedom prior to them being arrested. Seemingly, we are not doing as good a job as we need to be doing related to training our kids and getting them prepared uh, to deal with adulthood and uh, a lot of issues. You know, we got a lot of people locked up for uh, minor crimes. We have a lot of people locked up for uh, violence unable to control their emotions. And so how do we deal with helping young people to uh, avoid uh, incarceration in the beginning? Well, if if you if you truly wanna if you truly wanna alleviate that that remedy that situation, you have to start having people accountable as they as they create relationships. Many of these people are, are incarcerated. Why? Because they come from weak family structures. Why do they come from weak family structures? Because the relationships that that they were um um created from were weak in itself. And why were they weak? Because 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 the community is weak. The economic base of the community is weak. So we have to start realizing that you know what I'm saying. In terms of if you want to go to the nucleus, if you want to go to the root. You don't want to sugarcoat. You go to the root. Men and women stop having to stop hooking up and stop playing games because they're creating children. And if you're not ready to have these children, then you know what I'm saying, you shouldn't be in a position or even playing playing around with creating children. Because now, you know what I'm saying, this is, why, this is what they call the burden of society. Because now, you know what I'm saying, you created a child, and now this child is not even even prepared emotionally, emotionally 
or psychologically to deal with society, and couple that with with a, with 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 a substandard education. You know what I mean? We have to hold that also accountable. You know, you know, why do our kids have to have scholarships for 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 um for medical studies and things of that nature in terms of our high school and the high school level? When there's schools that have specialized schools and other communities where these things are prevalent or ongoing. You know, we have hospital programs and other specialized schools. These need to be going on in our schools. We need to be training our oh, they're purposely maneuvering our children to the bottom by giving them the, the, the inadequate education. So by giving them inadequate education, and, th- and this is the reason for immigration, because why? The inadequate education opens up the industry for why? For the for the labor market, and the labor market is being fought by immigrants. This is not a disrespect to immigrants or nobody else. This is a manipulation of the labor market. So we got to understand what our position in the labor market is. We are losing the labor market because we're not preparing our fruit. We're not preparing our children to be and be adequate to be able to participate in the labor market. So this is what we have to do. We have to start creating our families and start realizing that you cannot play with meeting a man and a woman because these produce children. These produce these children are not a joke. And these children are they, they're angry. Are you talking to them? You speaking to them? They know that they know their products are a lack of love. They know their products of a night or oh, 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 a night hookup at the club. They know it. They don't even want to admit it. it. It hurts them, and that's why. And that's why. And that's why they. They, they, they self-sabotage themselves. You know, I work with them. I'm with them, so I understand. I understand what's going on, and so this is so this is what so this is what we have to do as adults. You know what I'm saying? We asking them to do things that we're not doing ourselves. You know what I mean? And we're telling you know what I'm saying? Like, you we tell them say, well, go do this, but we're over here doing that. So they saying, why should I do that? You know what I mean? We, you know what I'm saying? We, 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 we created a culture in our community where it's black as being street. You no, know, black used to be being, the African American was being black and street was being street. But they've co- co- coalesced the two. Why are they created the two? Why? So they could create this prison complex. You know, our children are feeding the prison complex. You know, the prison, the prison, um, Prison industries are being traded on the stock market. So when you trade them, when you trade in, um, you know what I'm saying? Stock, put the stock stocks on the stock market. You have to, you have to insure a product, and they've insured a product through this decadent lifestyle that they've introduced to our community. You know what I mean? And it's breeding more and more dysfunction. And it didn't just start, but it's, it's climaxing at this point. And it's up to us, you know what I'm saying, to really be, get involved. And you know what I'm saying? And actually, and, and, and this show is a start because, you know what I'm saying, it starts as you have to talk about it. See, in other communities, they have these things called think tanks. Think tanks where they talk about things so they can create solutions for things before the problem created. So we have to start creating think tanks in our community. And you know what I'm saying? We have to start, you know what I'm saying? We have to start using the church. It's not a showcase to, you know, show up your outfit and say, who got the greatest choir and battles from choir to choir and things just that and the other. We have to start using these churches as, as what they were supposed to do as being a focal point of, of, of edification in our community. And you know what I'm saying? And they're not. Never mind, you know what I'm saying, the religion or this, that, and the other, whatever religion may be, whether it be Islam or uh, Christianity or whatever it may be, we have to start, these places have to start being epicenters of uh, altruism, have to be epicenters of things that, you know what I'm saying, create, you know what I'm saying, uh, um, um, uh, 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 swelling effect, swelling effect in our community, whereas that people are behaving in a manner in terms about it helping each other. In our community, one of the things, the biggest problem in the black communities is that we don't believe in ourselves. We don't support each other, and we don't believe in ourselves. We don't, we don't believe it until someone, until someone puts a whole bunch of money behind it. 
You know what I mean? We won't listen to it. We won't participate in it until somebody puts a bunch of money behind it. Why? Because we were, because we are insecure and we serve since we want success. We're we're seeking success. We're so insecure. We're seeking success. So why we could we could you could put a reverend who's uh, a make a, you could make a rapper a reverend, and next thing you know, everyone wants to hear what this guy has to say, but you've never throughout his career ever heard him quote scripture. So this is this is the problem. You understand what I'm saying? And I have. I mean, and it's not about me attacking any of these people. It's about it's about seeing the simplicity in our community and how we hold someone who we don't know and so much high self esteem and the people that we see in our community working hard. Putting the work, rolling up their sleeves, doing what they got to do in our community, and we're not assisting them. We'll see somebody in our community go hand out food, go hand out bags, school gifts, this, that, and other, and we'll laugh at them. But why are we not standing there with them? And if they put it on Facebook, so what? They put it on Facebook. You know why? Because people need to see us doing something positive. We need to change our image. We have our kids are showing so much. Our kids right now, we upset with our kids. We can only be upset with ourselves because they are showing us what we show them. You know what I mean? So it's up to us, and then we're gonna continue this complex of you know receiving people from in prison. Why? Because we, you know what I'm saying? Because why? We not we not doing nothing to to, to nullify prior to. And I uh, recognize that you know we have a situation that is not going to change overnight. And when we have people like the president administration in, a lot of assistance related to helping. Uh, inmates who are returning to our communities has to be done locally. Uh, so how do you encourage people locally and in their churches to open their arms up to people who have uh, victimized them? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give them an incentive. Right now, regardless of the administration in Washington and in local governments, there's millions of dollars for reentry programs. Millions of dollars. See, someone has already seen 15, 20 years ago that these inmates that they are called mass incarcerated a long time ago were going to be released. And they were going to need cell phones. They were going to need debit cards. They were going to need housing. They were going to need every all, everything to transition into the 21st century. So what they did, what the federal government did, they allocated funds for these programs. So the thing about it is, is that these churches, you know what I'm saying, who already have a board of directors, who already have a 501c3, you know what I'm saying, they, they could create programs where they could transition these people into being productive, productive, society, productive citizens because the church can't be upset with the children when the church failed the children in the first place. You, you you understand what I'm saying? For the simple fact that this is an institution inside the community. If this institution inside the community didn't reach out, didn't actively to reach out and create and create a, a conduit for these children to have a, a better way, then they cannot say anything about why these children went in the wayward way. Because what happens is that's the that's the point of the church. That's the point of it. You know what I'm saying? If you look at the history of the black church, the history of the black church was more than just have a sermon on Sunday, sing, and then go home and, and go eat, eat a chicken sandwich and go home. You know what I mean? It was it was all about being active in the community, making sure the networking, making sure that this person got, you know, work, work with this person, with this business, work with this business, keeping the businesses thriving, and, and, and it's no longer doing it. Now it's just places for people to be pompous and, 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 and ex-sophisticated, and try to outdo each other in terms about in terms about status. 
But no, we need to roll our sleeves up. We need to do we, we what 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 created that civil rights movement? Tomorrow's Martin Luther King's birthday. What created that civil rights movement? It was the churches. It was them being active, and you know what I'm saying. And everybody wasn't passive. You had this group called the Deacons for Defense. They weren't passive. You, you know what I mean? So you know we 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 have to understand that you know people were working and working and working. You had Gloria Richardson. You know what I'm saying from I'm from Cambridge, Maryland. They were active. You know what I'm saying working in, in the civil rights movement. We have to acknowledge. We have to. Now, a woman who just passed, who, who Oprah just acknowledged, or who, who, who Arisi Taylor, she was a, she was the she was the pinnacle reason for the civil rights movement because Rosa Parks came and helped her when she was raped by six white men in the state of Alabama, when person to prosecute them. So Rosa Parks went to, to, to her aid to try to get her justice. And when Rosa Parks sat on that bus, that's when everybody ran to Rosa Parks because they recognized her for helping this woman, Arisi Taylor. So we have to know our history. We have to know what's going on. And we have once we know all. These pieces, and we can put these pieces together. Then we can adequately, you know, say, start ameliorating the effect. Because we can't, we can, we could thank the president administration. Because if it wasn't for the president administration, we wouldn't be getting off our butts and trying to be doing, trying to do something, and realize that something bad is about to happen. You know what I mean? So you know what I'm saying. When you say Donald Trump, we appreciate him. You know what I mean? Because if he wasn't, it wouldn't be a few bits of us trying to do something. You know what I'm saying? Because other than that, because we've been supposed to be doing this through the Obama administration, through the Bush administration, through the Clinton administration, through every administration. We lost it because we let the power to them. These politicians serve us. They're supposed to be workers of the people, not workers of big business and lobbyists. And that's what we don't realize. And it's just not just the black community. It's all everybody's community. But, you know, we since we get the crumbs and they get the loaves of bread, man, you know, the crumbs, crumbs is getting lighter and lighter and lighter. So, you know what I'm saying? So we need to start working and being active and stop begging and, you know what I'm saying, asking for stuff and start working and making sure that we get our fair slice of the pie. All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break and come back and – uh, allow people to ask questions or make statements and figure out what it is that we need to be doing to assist our children as they return home from incarceration. You know I love music. And every time I hear something hot, it makes me want to move. It makes me want to have fun. But it's something about this joint right here. This joint right here, it makes me want to...
it was looked at as something in the black community was a response for black men who couldn't make it in mainstream society, who weren't allowed to make it in that society. And it was a uh, a reaction to not being able to make it in that society. And it was its own culture. This culture has been glamorized and, um, and, 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 and packaged and given to another generation as something to do. Anyone who's really lived this life would tell you that this is nothing really to live and you know is you know and I would tell you destroyed my family, you know, you know you know you know, it altered the course of my life, you know, and um and I would I wouldn't um, you know, suggest this for anyone. You know, and but it's um, at the same token, you know, it's unfortunate because and someone would say, Well, how did you become a criminal? When your father was a teacher, and you know, and um, I, I imagine my mother that so 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 the thing so the so the thing about it is is to say that you know it can happen to anyone. This situation can happen to anyone, and you know, no matter if you you know, I say well, I, I my kids you know is going to school and doing the right thing and this, that, and the other. Anytime a child needs money, anytime a child needs a, 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 a feeling of, of, of success, a feeling of position, a feeling of belonging, he will gravitate towards it if he's not getting that in, in, in some form or fashion in his, in, his, in his current surroundings, in his family life. So, so I'm, I'm just a byproduct of, of society, you know, I was, you know, I was raised in the institutional system as a child, you know, so, you know, from seven years old, so I wasn't, I wasn't reared at home, I didn't disappoint my mother, I didn't, you know, break her heart and go into the streets, and this is another thing, we have to look at the group home children, we have a lot of kids going to group, because I was a group home child, and we got a lot of kids going through group homes who don't have any attachment, who are disenfranchised, who do, who are, who are disenfranchised from childhood, you know what I'm saying, who are giving medications, who put put in specialized schools and and things of that nature? Cause I cause I I, I went through that. I went to, to different schools and this that and the other. Why? Because I I was in special education. Now I went through all of that to be able to come now and to be and and now to be able to teach. And, you know, see, the the crime is is well. Why wasn't why wasn't those attributes being harnessed and being nurtured when I when I was a youth? Why? Because it was a lap. It was a gap. You know what I'm saying? And it was a gap between the elders. Somewhere in the elders, you know what I'm saying, they ain't investing our children. And that's why I'm on a mission to make sure that we invest in our children so this gap this gap gets closed because we don't need another lost generation, you know what I'm saying, just the way I became a victim of a lost generation. Uh, you had a guest uh, that you were going to bring on to talk about their experience. Uh, have they made it on the air? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm what not was sure. The name? I, I, didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really know how the um, the um, the, the guests, you know, how it was going. I told them to call in. I don't know if they're on the line. What's the name? Call them to um, Ox. Okay. Six seven eight is the area code. And you said Ox. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, I don't have another 678. Um, 
Cheryl, what what are your thoughts in regard to to whether or not we are as a society are paying enough attention to the fact that we're putting all these people in jail and at some point they're going to be getting out? Good evening, everyone, and how's everyone doing? Good evening, Mr. Higgins. Um, you know, we have to be prepared because if inmates, once they're released, if there's no form of rehabilitating them uh, once they get out, some kind of program that they can go into to help them to do the transition back into society, then they're going to wind up doing the same thing that they did to get them back in. And that's what a a majority of them, some of them will have learned their lesson and many of them may not have learned. But I do believe that it is important that we do something, you know, and actually while they're incarcerated, it's probably a good time to have the program because as we notice on the outside, more and more programs is cut off. Um, I heard Mr. Higgins mention about some funding available that I'm pretty sure a lot of people are not even aware of. So I think that, you know, one of the things that he's doing, you know, spreading the word is excellent. And another thing, you know, we talk about all the time is that raising our child in the way that they should go. And not saying that they won't part from it, but we always know that they have a way of turning back to what is what they do know and what they did learn. And sometimes it's just by a learning experience do they find themselves in prison. But I do believe that it is necessary that there are some programs set in place to help the individuals that's getting out and transitioning back into society. Uh, Dee, um, you, you, we know that you've dealt with um, a lot of issues that had you to step back and to become, get in a controlled environment. Why is it that we seem to be willing to commit more time and effort uh, to people restoring their lives uh, by creating uh, these drug rehabilitation centers, but don't have uh, an in, in incarceration and rehabilitation process. Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Higgins, for for coming on the show, uh, sharing your experiences and strengths that you have obtained through those experiences and the hope that you have for our future generation. Um, I like to call the future generations, uh, our future generation, the the black millennials. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Higgins spoke about how uh, it's time for us to put on, uh, to get involved in the think tank one more time. Because Ms. Cheryl spoke about this gap, spoke about this gap that um, we seemingly have fallen through. And But one of the main things pertaining to your question, Jane, that she spoke of is the transition. 
and the transition, even the transition house or the transition process. Uh, Mr. Higgins spoke a lot about the, the accessibility of the church in our community. And um, in retrospect, if you look back in time in, in the 50s and the 60s, how the, the black church was the pillar of our community. Uh, they made sure that uh, we stay. We make. They made sure we stayed on task on what the on what the prize was, and that and that prize mm-hmm. at that time was obtaining our civil rights. They uh, mm-hmm. they they knew the port the importance of uh of us being able to uh, obtain an education, so mm-hmm. that we can get in be in position. Uh, in the way of uh, doctors, lawyers, teachers, and things of that stuff of that sort, and they were and in the in the accessibility to help others to come up the ladder. Now, in all of that, um, I want to say this before I go to my next point, real quick. When Mr. Higgins spoke about the present administration, and I I I, I actually uh, embraced the sentiment that it is a blessing. In disguise, the current administration is a blessing in disguise because what mm-hmm. it's supposed to do, and hopefully what it does, it jolts us back into reality of what we're supposed to be doing for one another and for mm-hmm. the community. Because mm-hmm. what we have done has we have fallen victim to the rhetoric or the or the mindset that has been imposed upon us for way too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, if if the legalization of marijuana were to were to happen, that would be the worst that can happen to our community because we are already distracted. And mm-hmm. when it comes down when it comes down to a point of trying to find a reason to move forward, the white power structure, if I can call it that, because that's what Jose Williams and Dr. King used to call it. The white power structure would love nothing more for, but for us to be distracted one more time. But what this current administration is supposed to do is to, this is supposed to be our atomic bomb. But even before we get to the actual atomic energy, this is supposed to be so devastating for us that we are supposed to galvanize and be paying attention well enough. And still, we are still that, that 20% of black people that's really paying attention. The other eighty percent is not paying attention any attention. Now we have said it vice versa where the twenty percent is not paying attention, but I I I beg to differ. I think eighty percent is not paying attention well enough to where even the churches are supposed to be in position to help these black men, especially when they get out of jail, to be in a in a position to help out and get the younger uh, children and young adults to know that if you do exactly what I did, or even to a lesser uh, extent, you will be wasting your time, time that you really can't get back. And so um, it's important that we start paying attention. And Mr. Higgins, again, I'm sorry to be long-winded, James. Uh, thanks for your help, and thanks for your efforts. Bye. Uh, Cassie, you have um, benefited from someone being able to turn their life around what what are your thoughts here about uh, us not committing enough um, resources to helping people change their lives 
after they've spent time uh, incarcerated. Good afternoon, Mr. James Deshaies. Um, Hello. Captain Sutton, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, this is Kathy's husband. Yeah, uh, I am the beneficiary of uh, this <laughs> relationship. <laughs> well, my wife, my lovely wife. And uh, me too, I was incarcerated. Uh, 14 years in prison, first time offender. And like the young man spoke earlier, just a victim of the community and, and uh, just what I was up against in the neighborhood. And I took that road. I had a choice, but I took that road. But to make a long story short, like he said, it's programs out there when you get out, and you have to have your mind made up before you come outside those walls to get a plan in process. And have a, a, for me, myself, I had a six-month halfway house. And I recommend anybody to get that six-month halfway house because it's an adjustment to get back out into the street where when you leave that halfway house to have an itinerary, what you're going to do, don't waste any time. Execute every minute you got to do something because they hold you accountable uh, when you go out. And uh, you gotta have you got to have at least one or two persons to help you because it's hard if you get out here by yourself and you don't have any help at all. But you got to be uh-huh. consistent on working and, and working. Get you a job. It's not saying you're going to stay in that job. And it's hard to find a job when you're an offender because you got five applications. You have somebody that says they've been to jail. You're going to automatically execute that one, get it out the way. So they have programs out. When I was get, when I got out uh, 20-some years ago where they had, um, they would bond these people $25,000 just to hire you. So it's all kind of programs out there, like he said, that's funding. And you just have to do your research, and you have to get out here and be consistent and have a plan. And, and, and it will work, and be patient. Now, uh-huh. how, let me just ask you, um, Mr. Jones, how, what was your plan related to uh, your spiritual side? Was how, how did that play? When you originally came out, because I tell a lot of my inmates that they need to find a church and, and become a part of a church home. Uh, was that told to you, or how did that happen for you? Well, as the young lady spoke earlier about, teach your kids at a young age and they won't depart. I grew up in the church, but when I came home, I still had a mentality of uh, of doing things my way. My wife, at the time, I used to get a four-hour pass on Sunday to go to church, and my wife would tell me, come on, go to church. i say, all I need is the pass from you. Give me the pass to show that I went to church. And she said, I'm not giving you the pass. You got to start coming to church. So to make a long story short, I went to church one day. I told my wife, I'm not giving tithes. This man is taking my money. She said, well, baby, it's just like anything else you go to. You get, you got to pay for air conditioning, clean bathrooms. You got to pay for a clean place, parking, air, all this stuff. That aspect. I said, well, okay. Well, he does a good, good, good word. So I got convicted. I got baptized, you know, because the word was so good. The Holy Spirit hit me. And uh, after that, uh, we went to another church. And 
I just been walking with the Lord ever since. I mean, he has blessed me time and time again. I've had several businesses. I've been successful in everything that I put my mind to with the blessing of the Lord because I've been doing it his way. And uh-huh. me and Amen. my wife started attending the church, just minding our business, attending the church, a powerful church. I'm talking about a church that's active, that's actual active. They're not, this is not a, this is a grown folks church. We have, we have men and children. So I'm going to tell you, this is a growing church. We have active children and active men. I mean, you come in this church, men run this church. And, and these, these people came and called my, me and my wife into the church to just show you how the Holy Spirit working. And they called us in there and asked me to become a deacon for the church. But oh. to make a long story short, just because walking with the Lord and being obedient, I mean, uh, uh, that's the foundation that you're going to need to do anything successful. You have to have a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, uh, Mr. Higgins, I'm going to um, ask you to, to to talk about uh, what he said about um, halfway houses. Uh, is that a big part of our, our, our existence right now? Do everyone have uh, access to a halfway house. You know, it's my understanding uh, once they do a certain part of their um, time, uh, they're just given a ticket to go home. Well, um, I got someone um, that, um, um, on the line that can answer that better than myself. Um, my brother, who just came, just finished from doing 13 years, he just left the halfway house, so if you let him chime in on that, he'll be able to give you know you know the actual details. But nothing. Yes. Uh, Terrence, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. What What is your understanding Hello? of of a halfway house and people's access to a halfway house? Well, actually, actually, when you come in in the system. You have five, they give you up to 12 a year before you go home. Your, say your max out day is 2015. You got up to 12 months prior to that. They they submit an application to the halfway house and ask them, you know, to see if you have, see if they got some beds available for you. The halfway house replies back within, I'm going to say, it could be up to about 60 days, 60 to 90 days, and they let you, they let the institution know that we, um, like your, your case manager, he submit, uh, he could put out, uh, let's say the, the guy said he was, he he got six months halfway house. Your case manager who run your case, who do your caseload, he submitted and asked for, let's say he asked for eight months, the halfway house to send back and say, nah, we could give him six months, or he could shoot for the for twelve months. That means that he could get you out. You could go to the halfway twelve months earlier, prior to your mandatory release date. Now the halfway house might be crowded, so they try to get you in. Probably they probably don't want to give you twelve months. They'll probably say, "Yeah, we'll take them, but we gotta give them six months." So they accept you. They give you. They send a date for you to for you to come to the halfway house six months and you stay there for six months, you know. And once you get there, 
you you got to get the job and you got to get a pass and I mean and so on be it. But you still connected to the institution because if you violate or do anything wrong or whatever the case might be, the halfway house could send you back. Now, mind you, this is not. This is a privilege. This is a. This is not mandatory that they' supposed to give you because they could turn you down and say, "Nah, we'd rather not have them." So that means that is either is either two things they could do is either you could shoot for another halfway house at another state and switch your address, or you could stay at the institution and max out, meaning doing your whole time. So that's how. But the halfway house. Some people turn the halfway house down and just rather just do the whole so they don't have to keep in between of coming back or whatever, knowing that they're not going to do, do the right thing. But it also could help you prepare so when you do get released after that six months that you will be able to, you know, function and get a job. You'll be taken at it. It's like a, a jump start for society or whatever. But at, in my case, I had uh, I had eight months. I think I had eight. I had. I believe I had eight months. I had eight months halfway house. I came out. I, I left the institution, uh, June January two thousand and sixteen. I stayed in the halfway house. Yeah, ten months. I stayed in the halfway house to October. I participated in finding a job. I participated in, you know, doing little services. But and in October, I got fully released to whereas I have to go back to the halfway house. So throughout the 10 months, I stayed consistently working jobs, different jobs here and there, and maintain of staying clear conduct with the halfway house because if you don't, they will and they could send you back. And that's basically how it go. But as the guy say, who just the prior speaker, you do have to have some type of support. And if you don't, you have to research and you have, cause nothing come to you no more. These, a lot of these programs, they out there, but they not, you, they not going to reach out to you. You got to reach out to them. And then the institution some institutions is real aggressive with trying to help people when they do get out, and some is just not, and that's just how it goes. So you have to really have your support, and you have to just hit the ground running. You just got to stay focused, and, you know, it's going to be challenging. I'm going to tell you, if you don't have no support, or you or you have to have some type of support. If you don't, then you have to just go to the best thing and just stay resourced and stay because it is going to be very challenging. Now these days, it's very challenging. It's easy for you to get into any type of trouble or whatever the case might be. So pretty much I had some good support. My support team was right there with me, and they helped me all the way. And I just did the rest because that's what I wanted. Like, you have to want it. You have to want it, and you have to have it in your mind that, that you know, you don't want to go back. So with that being said, I just really, before I, before, you know, I did 13 years. So out of the 13 years, I stay active of being in programs. I stay active of reading. I stay active of doing researches on how to do things. I always believe that just because I, 
I, I convict, was a convicted felon that I can't get no job. I never believed in that. I always believed in I could do it. I could make it happen. And once mm-hmm. I had faith and, and, I, and I just, you know, continued on being aggressive with working here, doing more for less, you know, and, and putting my pride to the side and learning how to have patience, learning how to sacrifice. And, you know, Mr. Deshay, I like to admit that that was the best thing that ever happened to me was me being incarcerated. Reason why is because I've been in the streets a very long time. I'm 43 years old. I've been in the streets a very long time, you know, like my brother say. And, uh, you know, I never really learned how to value. I never learned appreciation. I I, I never had patience. I never really, I, 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 I really never really valued life or what it was worth, you know. I lived day by day. I just ran with the wrong people. I just, you know, and, and ended up in a lifestyle that, you know, I really liked and I really enjoyed. Now, I don't live with my regrets, but because I, I learned a lot from that part too. But as I was saying, I, I learned when I got incarcerated and, and and did that 13, it really made me into a full-grown man. You know, taking responsibility for all actions, learning how to have patience, learning how to value life for what it's worth and not take it for granted. And, you know, not too many people. I saw a lot of people die from heart attacks that's young. I saw people get stabbed up. I've seen the worst. It was a real dark place at times. And I, and I, and I really thank God for making me go through that path of, you know, seeing all them type of things and learning and coming out smiling and, you know, and, and, and that's what really made, motivated me to not even want to go back. Like, cause it, it, it get worse. It's really worse than that. It's really worse, you know, and it no, no laws is passing. People is praying in the law libraries, hoping that they could get their case passed. And a lot of laws is not passing for them. And, you know, a lot of people don't got no family and they, and 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 uh, the, the administration, they not even trying to help, you know. And you know, I lost my moms. I lost my moms. Um, I came home 2016. I lost her 15 of January. And uh, you know, I lost a lot of people, but my moms was the closest thing to me. And you know, she wrote me a letter, and she told me she's really trying to hang on and wait for me. You know, she was 83 years old. She raised me. And, and, you know, not the, not, and she kept all, she kept writing her, you know, she wrote me all the way through it. And, you know, the last four or five years prior to that, her arthritis was bothering her and, you know, she ain't had a strength no more, but the last letter was, I'm hanging on and I'm waiting for you. You know, I, I'm a hang on longer. And, you know, I keep that letter to that day and, and things like that motivate me. Cause I want, I want my legacy to be different. I don't want to be known as, Terrence, the, the the guy who uh could, could, was was in a drug life and you know did crimes and been incarcerated. I want her to be proud of me. I want her to look down at me and say, yeah, I came out and I made a change and you know things like that. Just it just it it, it enhances my motivation to to thrive. Like I I, I want to be successful and you know I want my legacy to be turned around and show so I can show other people that come home that they could do it as well. You know. A lot of these jobs, people say, 
oh, they ain't going to hire me because I'm a felon. No, no. Whoever put that out there is not right. You know, that, that, that's not, that's that's a myth, man. They they will hire you, you know, because you're working, you know, and, and and things like that. Like, I worked all through the whole 13 years I worked in there. They, you know, and I and I did things, and they don't pay you. You get paid probably six cents an hour, and, and, and you mop, you know, and things like that. So when I, when, when I reflect back on that thing of washing toilets and, and cleaning floors for six cents an hour, and and you know you calling home to try to get money to come for commissary, and nobody answering, and the numbers been changed. I mean, you don't want to go back to that place. So, you know that 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 what keeps me really really keep it going, you know, and all that. Out of these last two years, I done had about I'm gonna say five jobs, and you know each one it gets better. That time. Right now, I'm a, I'm a specialist in sewing. Uh, I work for a manufacturing light company where we build lamps for uh for scratch. And you know, it's world renowned. So, you know, I just keep it. I just keep. I just keep God first, and I keep my support team. I keep talking to my brother, and you know, I talk to people like that. You know, keep it going. But it definitely is a challenge. You just gotta just reach reach out, people. You know. A lot of these resources, they got a lot of resources for reentry programs. People just got to look them up and go first. All right, let me go to a few of the other people. We have, uh, I don't know everybody's number by heart. I'm going to call out the four, last four digits of your number, 7979. What's your name and where you calling from? 7979. Would you like to make a statement or ask a question? All right, Audrey. Hello? Audrey, uh, what what are your thoughts about some of the things that you've heard? And what does society, what kind of obligation does society uh, have to helping these 2,000 people that we have incarcerated? I mean, two thousand. I mean, two million. I said two thousand. I mean, two million. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, thank you, Sunday, to everyone. And first, thank you to everyone who has shared, and to our brothers who have been incarcerated and who are now released and um, are sharing their story and their experiences with us. I want to say thank you for. Um, allowing your experiences to improve and, and help someone else along the way. That's what life is all about. So thank you. James, this thank topic you. is uh, one of the things that Brother um, said at the beginning of the show had to do with the importance of us as a family talking and getting to know each other and setting the right role models in place and learning our history. I mean, so many valuable things have been said because without that, uh, when our brothers and our sisters are incarcerated, that impacts the family. And it touched my heart that uh, um, the mother's love for her son is in reality what kept the son moving, and now the son is again touching lives. And I say that to say that we are touching each other's lives every day, every moment. 
And uh, Brother Jones, I want to just say thank you uh, again for sharing, and, and your wife is just beautiful, but I thank you for keeping it real as it relates to uh, a lot of times um, uh, people going to church, if you can get a pass, hey, somebody can sign off for you. I mean, that's real. So thank you so much for sharing, and, and I just know that the Lord will continue to use you. Uh, but, James, my, my main concern is uh, from the preventive measure. And we prevent, again, by uh, making sure that we communicate regular. We learn uh, from our brothers and sisters, and we make sure that we teach. And it's more than one way to teach. Um, we have to have uh, community organizations. We have to start right with our family. And, uh, you know, if we just take one person and mentor and, and make a positive difference in their lives because especially our young men, I, I think someone said earlier the importance of a, the right role model. Our young men, not only to teach men how to be men, but, you know, we as women, we want real men. We want men that know how to treat us. We want men that want to work together and, and achieve something. But that have to be taught. Uh, I can go on and on, but I think my comment, James, have to do with uh, being preventive, communicating, and taking responsibility of us learning our history. All right. Uh, I'm going, again, I got some numbers down that I'm not familiar with, and I'm just going to call out the last four digits of your number. Uh, well, that person just disappeared. Let me go back to uh, – to, uh, Brother Jones, uh, let me ask you, uh, we had Terrence. Was your experience uh, similar to Terrence's? Uh, You're on the West Coast and Terrence is on the uh, East Coast. So it'll be interesting to know whether or not the systems uh, work about the same. Good afternoon, James. You know, he got out of the car. He's in another car and he's not connected to the line, but from what okay. the brother, uh, brother Terrence was saying, it's the exact same thing um, as far as the, them being inside of the um, inside of um, shoot. <laughs> Can the halfway house. Name of, yeah, the halfway house and the visits, going to visit and, and the letters and how they had to have an agenda or a job in order to get out you know, to have time out. But uh, basically, it's, it, it was the exact same thing that, as Brother Terrence said, yes. Okay. Um, Ms. Higgins, what, what more you said that we shouldn't count on the, um, the federal government or our local state government, that more needs to be done in the community to help them transition. Uh, how do we, again, encourage them even beyond, I mean, why shouldn't every all the churches that we have, why shouldn't they be willing to accept two or three or four or five inmates uh, as an opportunity to help groom people away from that kind of environment? Well, um, they should. They should be helping them before they even get involved with that environment. You know, um, Unfortunately, you know, we we um, relegated those responsibilities to um, to the state, to the welfare systems, or to the programs, or to this. And these are things that we need to actively be involved with ourselves in terms of our curtailing, so that we could, you know, 
create this edifice for ourselves. You know, one th- another thing about programs is that although they might be, you know, their mission statements and vision statements might, you know, be altruistic in its in, in this in this um statement, but how they run and conducted are two different things. And you know, in a capitalist society, you know, money is the root of you know the defining root of um the motivator of everything. So. Much of the services are shoddy. Why? Because you know people, you know, want to, you know, cut their budgets and things of that, you know, nature. So we have to understand that, you know, that we just can't look at these programs and say, oh, that's the solution. You know, those programs are going to work as actively better as we work, as we hold them responsible and accountable. You know, we have to hold ourselves to accountability. We have to start, you know, hold, you know, holding our communities, you know, holding our schools, holding our teachers. You know, we have to start, you know, this is aggregate. We have so many different things that we have to get involved with to start creating um, an edifice that will make our community uh, ameliorate the problems that we see in our community. So that, it, you know, it starts there, you know, and, um, and you know, um, you know, it's like, and, and you know, like what Terrence said, you know, that's the that's the heartfelt tragic thing of, you know, people being incarcerated, you know, um, how you know what I mean, you know, how you got loved ones and you know, they they're going through pain, you know, you know, um, they you know, they didn't commit a crime but they're going through pain. They're going through through you know, through some and it's not it's not even their fault because why? It's the environment that we live in. These things were purposely, you know, instituted in our community so that they would suck, um, snatch people away like me and turn us away from our loved ones and, and, and create that void and create, and you know what I'm saying, create that that that, 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 that void that, that we weren't able to fill in our community so we could be um, better symbols and examples. We needed better symbols and examples to follow, you know, you know, we got to realize when we go through stages in life, when we go through society, you know, we grew up in an environment where, it, where there was no law. It wasn't today. You know what I mean? You know, we, we grew up in a society where cops were crooked. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, people forget that now, you know, because they got all this law and order and all these other kind of TV shows, you know, but that was the reason for them. Because cause of the Serpent Code, because of the, um, I forgot the other, um, I think it was the French Connection, you know, when they had the police involved with, you know, drug trafficking because of what happened with Larry Davis and these things. So we have to remember the police force used to be very dirty, you know what I mean? And, and you know, they actually helped, you know, precipitate some of the crimes that we, much of the crime that we see in our community. So, you know, it's just about, you know, we have to start, you know, allowing politicians to placate us with more police and start placating us with more employment and not just jobs. We need industry. We don't just need jobs. We need industries. We need control of certain industries. I mean, there's so many industries that, you know, that certain ethnic groups have control of, and we don't have control of anything. So, you know, we have to start looking at that, not just jobs. We have to start looking at what industry do we control, because if you look at it, you know, any industry that we're involved in, we're at the we're at the bottom level. All right, let's take a, another break, and uh, we're going to give everybody an opportunity 
to say their final word. Hello. I'm the music major. This is my man, Jay on Gray. He got a question to ask you. Talk to him, Jay. Is there anybody in love? Responsibilities. Now, with that being said, you know you did do the crime, right? And you do come out 
and these a lot of these reentry programs, you know, you gotta you just gotta want it. You just gotta want it. You gotta want to get on the ground. You gotta you gotta just go get it. You gotta have to do the resources yourself and all that. Cause when you did the crime, you got you know the judge when he sentenced you, it's for you to pay your debt to society. Once you pay your debt to society, you go and you suspect that people supposed to automatic just automatic help you out but you have to also want it as well and you got to believe and you just got to have faith and it's going to be challenging and you just got to stay strong and believe that's 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 my final thoughts on it okay you know some people and, feel uh, like I wanna, yeah that's i want to encourage you terrence to uh join us sometime during the week if you can uh because your voice is one that we want to hear on a lot of different topics uh so i just invite you to, oh, no to stay uh, engaged when you can it's, it's, it's no problem, uh, Mr. Deshaun. I will also. I, I... All right, Andre, what are your final thoughts for this evening? I just want to say uh, again uh, the experiences and the encouragement that we've heard tonight about um, the different programs, what it takes, and recommendations on on how to accomplish. Um, you know, your goals after being incarcerated uh, is an indication that, you know, you may be in a place where you're, you're not the happiest set or you didn't really want to be, or but your life is not over. And, again, we have to help and strengthen each other along the way. And if, indeed, we can prevent it, that's the best. But if not, we are here to support, encourage, and help each other. So, um, again, let's keep the communication going. Let's talk about our history and making sure we as a family are owning up to what our roles and responsibilities are. All right. Uh, your final thought for this evening? I'd like to um, thank Mr. Higgins for educating us and um, the other gentlemen, uh, other two gentlemen, for educating us on things that we were not aware of, of, of anything that we weren't. Um that now it helps us to be able where we can be more active in certain areas to let us be active in those areas. But as we always say, you know, it starts in the home. And if anything happens, let us continue to be great supporters to one another to help, you know, our brothers and sisters to go through whatever it is, especially if they're determined to do better one state or on the other side. So, again, as I always say, whatever we do, we can always do more. All right. Uh, Kathy or Mr. Jones, are you there? you want to give us a final thought for this evening? I'm here, James, and I, it's always a pleasure when Mr. Higgins come on and share what he's doing in the community and educate us on what it is we need to continue to do. And I am, will uh, pray for him and also his brother. And um, just thinking about what the scripture says, am I my brother's keeper? And, yes, I am my brother's keeper. So just to keep that in mind, that we are our brother's keeper. Amen. 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 Mr. Higgins, uh, Mr. Higgins, I just want to let you know you uh you had me jumping today because uh your show uh combined with uh 
my callers, we had over 10 uh, call-ins, and it was hard trying to get to everybody. I know a few people oh. dropped off thinking I wasn't going to get to them, uh, but you had 10 callers, uh, 10 or more callers on the day. And uh, so it, we are reaching out there, and more and more people are calling in, uh, and we just want to encourage everybody, keep calling in, and I'll work hard to get your voice on. Uh, we don't try to interrupt people or cut people short. We want people to have the opportunity to get their whole opinion out there. Uh, so, Mr. Higgins, what is your final thought for the season? Well, I'm just think I'm just thankful that we know that we opened this platform up, to, you know, to start really touching base and start really understanding, you know, the different facets of the community. Um, like people like my brother and myself, you know, you know, although you know, although we were, you know, encapsulated in the life of crime, we were never, we were never bad people. You know what I mean? We would never, even the people that, you know, we were, uh, we were never lazy people. We would never lack luster people. We were just people that dealt, you know, that um, that um, only saw opportunity one way from where we commuted, where we grew up at. So and we got to understand that many of the people that we see in the community that, that do involve themselves in crime are not people who don't have any motivation. They just have their 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 energy directed in the right in the wrong direction. So we have to, you know, start, you know, get giving these young people before they put their energies in these nefarious behaviors and start catching them prior to because that's, you know, that's where they're at their most energy and they're confused and, you know what I'm saying, and they're looking for a, a sense of stability. So I'm just thankful for you, Mr. Deshay, that, you know, we have, have, have this platform and we need to continue to, to talk on this subject and subjects like these so that we can start creating a, 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 a conduit of amelioration so we can, we can start, we can start alleviating this. We could have the James and Jay show, um, you know, have been the conduit to start alleviating, you know, recidivism and, you know, and, 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 and people going incarcerated in the first place. So I'm just thankful for you, Mr. Deshay, um, that we have this opportunity. Well, I am so looking forward to uh, our continued uh, partnership with you uh, calling in every other, I mean, calling in and being a guest host every other uh, Sunday. And we want to merge and grow from that and go to the point uh, where we got some young people. Uh, we talked about having a young people show uh, so young people can come on and tell us what's going on with them and well, they can uh, better um, describe what the problem is so that we can figure out what, how to make a solution or how to get a solution. Again, I just want to thank all of those of you who called in to the show. I want you to understand how important it is uh, to keep uh, supporting me and the show uh, so that your voices can be heard. And we look forward to seeing you all uh, tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're on the air seven days a week, Monday through Friday yeah. at 6 p.m. Saturday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 8.30 p.m. We want you to hear so your voice can be heard loud and clear. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you uh, tomorrow at 6 p.m. Father, help your children and know that
of the road And teach them To love one another That heaven might find A place in their hearts Jesus He won't let you down And I know He Forever In my heart We've got to walk on Walk on through temptation Cause His love And His wisdom Will be our helping hand and I know the truth And His word Will be our salvation Lift up our hearts To be thankful And glad That Jesus Is love Hello, it is Ryan And I was on a flight the other day Playing one of my favorite social spin slot games On Chumbacasino.com I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.